3: We're reviewing week 10, looking forward to week 11 and helping you to manage your fantasy teams on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by my bookie. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. It's week eleven already, and Matt, I think we need to apologize to the Mark Ingram owners out there that took our advice and sat him as he had a pretty good game over the weekend.
1: Yeah uh I guess I mean I don't know whatever buyer beware i mean it's it's funny, so like uh I actually ended up starting ingram in uh d f s um because he was so cheap um but uh the team that he's on in my dynasty league didn't do well, and uh this was actually my worst uh weekend in uh maybe history wow uh, for, for betting. It was it was a bad weekend for betting. I still like broke even for the week, so it was fine. But it was just like single single day, the worst day I've ever had. Yeah, this feels like like the- a cr- across sports. It wasn't oh, really? just NFL. It was like on on Sunday, I got screwed by golf, NBA um lost money but came much closer to breaking even in nascar and then nfl was just a disaster
3: all right this is a conversation for a different time but roughly how many hours a week are dedicated to your personal betting endeavors granted you're probably so informed by all of the work that you're doing throughout the week that you wouldn't have to do as much research as the average person
1: uh it's significant time the, a lot of the time really is kind of spent uh trying to find the bets
3: yeah that makes a lot of sense uh And as somebody that, you know, only dabbles, I think that that clearly is one of the most important things is, you know, only playing where you feel comfortable and it makes sense. Well, I still think, you know, like when we talked about Ingram last week, it made sense. And I had even said, you know, there's going to be a game here or there that you're going to miss. And I thought that they would be later on. Uh, But still now I think we're kind of going to have to say use discretion on your team. I still don't know if that one performance, I don't think that... It means that you're going to get a solid level of production from him week in and week out, but perhaps he's no longer a must sit. A player that I do want to mention, normally we save these for the end, but Cooper Cup, that torn ACL, just a real bummer. He was having a great season when he was on the field will have that season cut short. I still really like cup prospects moving forward, but I guess the big question becomes when you're looking at other players on that team, perhaps like Gerald Everett, how much room do you think that this cup injury opens up for other Rams to produce from a fantasy perspective?
1: Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit, but like no one can really replicate um, what he brought to that offense, except I think Woods. Like I Mm -hmm. think Woods will play a little more in the slot. Um, But I think what you'll see is just more targets going to the three guys of Cooks, Woods, and Gurley. And then whatever, whatever is left over that would have gone to Cup will just be roughly evenly distributed. Uh, between Reynolds and the tight ends. So I don't think there's going to be one guy who really sees a boost across the board. I think all of them will see slight boost.
3: Yeah, that was pretty much my read as well. So I don't think that it really makes anybody else on the Rams a must-add, especially just you know because of the talent that they have with that group of three players that you mentioned.
4: They're the little Lebowski Urban Achievers.
3: Rashad Penny gets mentioned for maybe the first time during the regular season in Seattle's game against the rams over the weekend 12 attempts 108 yards one touchdown almost 17 fantasy points i guess it's good to see that penny is able to, d- to deliver on some of the things that we thought he might be able to do i'm not sure if you can expect something like this from him moving forward granted we have seen some success now by the seahawks backs but were you uh, impressed by this performance
1: Uh, I mean, yes and no. Like, uh, I haven't lost long-term faith in Rashad Penny. Um, you know, it's just a question of like, for this season, his, like his production is obviously based on the dependability, uh, or availability rather of, uh, the guys ahead of him, like Chris Carson, Mike Davis. Uh, if one of those guys is out, then you might have Rashad Penny have a game where he gets 10 touches. Um, you know, and one of those might end up in a touchdown, but you know, he's, he's a backup. He's like pretty clearly, I think he's still the number three guy on that team. But, um, even if he starts to get more touches on a regular basis, he's not going to get enough where he should be near anyone starting lineup.
3: Yeah. Especially that it's taken this long into the season. So it's not like this one performance is going to catapult him up that roster, uh, as the backs in front of him were producing lines like this at different points throughout the season. Uh, So I guess it is good for his long-term value. DeQuiz Rogers, we had mentioned before, is maybe a player that could get some action in particular game scripts. Really strings together his first solid outing of the season. Eight targets, eight wrecks. Uh, Equates to around 16 fantasy points as he did uh, accumulate 100 yards through the air. We've talked about how they are going to be facing the Buccaneers. That is a very tough schedule for the ground game with Fitzpatrick remaining in as the starter. Uh, the Buccaneers being a team that's likely going to be playing from behind a lot. Do you think that this Rodgers performance could carry through to future weeks?
1: Uh, One. The cat? Uh, that cat. Oh, my God. Uh, I know, man. Two. Um, I'm – I don't know. Like I'm always I'm I'm too pessimistic about pass catching backs. Um, you know, like I, I totally missed Jalen Richard. You know, like I just didn't see him as someone who would be viable, but uh he's been viable because he's on a team with limited uh I, I guess limited options ahead of him and on a team that uh is in negative game script and going to be passing the ball. So that kind of fits Jaquiz Rogers. Um, so maybe he will be viable. I just still don't, I don't know. I just, I'm never going to, I'm never going to start one of these guys. Like I'm never going to do it. So I don't know why I would put someone like that on my team.
3: That's entirely fair. Uh, especially with the kind of thought in mind that you're probably not going to get that many touchdowns from Rogers and the odds that even if he does see the eight targets, it turns into like an a hundred yard day are probably pretty minimal. Now, I also want to mention that on Last Thursday, I was on the mailbag and Henry broke through the barricades, was licking me uh, as documented by uh, the host of the mailbag, Mr. Jeremy Hart, um, who actually saw the whole thing transpire on webcam. So I think the cat is very upset that I put the barricade back up and he was not able to break in tonight. Zay Jones does manage to break into the Little Lebowski Urban Overachievers segment for probably the first and only time ever. 11 targets, 8 wrecks, 1 touchdown, 93 yards, and more than 23 fantasy points uh, from a spectacular day from Matt Barkley, who made me look like a complete fool for streaming the Jets against them in every single league that I play.
1: Yeah, he's uh breaking into the segment the way he broke through that glass window. Uh nailed it. Um <laughs> did he actually do he did, did he break through a glass window? Like when he was found like when he was arrested when he was naked? Like I think he like shattered a window and was like I, naked and bleeding. I I think that's the yeah, story. Yeah,
3: I think I, I think there was there was something al- along those lines. So Prob- it's good- yeah,
1: yeah I, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. Uh, uh, it, it was beneath the dignity of the show. Um, yeah. Zay Jones, I, I mean, no. Like, I mean, I, I think the only way that you really even care about this is if you have him in Dynasty and you think, okay, maybe this is the beginning of him kind of getting things righted. But um, like, if you just looked at Yahoo Leagues, he's owned in 1% of Yahoo Leagues like that might bump up to 2% after this week <laughs> like but you're never going to feel comfortable starting him you know like i just i don't see it being a thing so yeah i mean maybe if you're in a really deep league and you just have absolute trash at the wide receiver position uh and you know it's a week where six teams are on bye so you know maybe you're just you need a dart throw maybe he's someone you pick up but i don't really think so
3: the strange thing is is that there've been a lot of Good signals for Jones if you just looked at the way that things had been trending in terms of expected points for him, targets, opportunity and the schedule that the Bills were facing, but it was kind of like, there's no way in which you could actually recommend going after him. And this one game doesn't change it for me. It's still a pretty bleak situation there. I think I'd probably have to see another two weeks of this to even think about uh, actually considering Jones as an ad, let alone getting him into a lineup. So pump the brakes there. If you're getting overly excited for Jones, though, I guess this is something positive. Uh, and hopefully he can kind of carry this momentum through and get to uh, fantasy relevancy.
0: Listen, let me ask you a question. Could you um, expand the space underneath the desk and you know, give it a little more uh, headroom?
3: Okay. I was asked on the mailbag uh, about starting Jarvis Landry or a group of very good players. I went with Landry. That was another call that I made wrong. Saw five targets for the Browns, only two wrecks, 22 yards, comes out to 4.2 fantasy points. There's been some disappointing games for Landry, despite Baker Mayfield having a pretty good game. Does this trouble you in any way, Matt?
1: Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's very troubling, but I'm going to keep on saying, um, you know, if you have Landry, you're starting him. Uh, I will probably continue to be wrong. And, uh, I, you know, when I bet him in props, I will probably continue to lose money. But um, I mean, this was like a great matchup for him this last week. Um, it's, I guess, disconcerting that he didn't do better. Like literally like every, even like pseudo fantasy viable slot receiver who had faced the Falcons this season had just like gone off. Right. Um, so it was, it was a very negative outcome. Um, but I don't know if enough has changed even with the change in coaching staff. Um, for Landry to be downgraded, like I think overall, he's still the guy who's going to get the most targets within that offense. Um, I think you still want to have a guy who is heavily targeted and who has a history of producing, even if he's not getting you know, like high leverage targets.
3: If there's the type of player that I'm going to be okay with being wrong when I make the decision to keep playing them or to keep starting, it's a player like Jarvis Landry, given the volume that we've seen, given that he plays out of the slot, and I do believe he's probably, by and large, the most talented uh, receiver that they have out there. Um, Sony Michelle. Patriots had a bad game yesterday. He saw just eleven carries, thirty-one yards, three point one fantasy points, a bit of a down game for James White as well. Naturally, the Patriots offense as a whole. Any thoughts on Michelle? Uh, does this concern you at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm uh I don't know. I, I think in general, like if you have Michelle, you're still playing him. He's still the lead back in a very high scoring offense um the patriots i mean they just they had a bad week but uh i mean you still want in general to roster players within that offense the one thing i would say is that like uh i mean they shouldn't have drafted him like i'm just all i don't know you think yeah and like this is this was especially an especially bad week because it was like nick chubb just went off right and it was like you know you maybe chose the wrong guy in that georgia backfield you know, like Completely. maybe you didn't need Completely. to draft Michelle as the the first running back off of you know. So anyway, it was just it it wasn't good.
3: I could fill a whole podcast talking about reasons that Sony Michelle was the wrong pick. Um, as a huge Nick Chubb fan, and again, when you have James White that is getting targeted so much more than top tier wide receivers, and he's performing so well, you don't even need the. I guess versatility that you thought you were getting from Michelle, when there's no question that Chubb was the better between the tackles type of runner, outproduced Michelle. I'm just going to leave this, but if you have Michelle, I don't think you really panic. I think this was just a bad game for that offense. So recovery is going to have another couple of good games likely before the season is over. Yeah, Go- one thing to yep.
1: to jump in here really quick. I think if you're going to panic with Michelle, the the like what should cause the panic is the idea that Rex Burkhead could come back like i i think right like he's on the uh like the IR where he can return yeah it's correct and i think like he's getting close so like yeah. i think that is the cause for panic the idea that michelle might not be like the only like kind of true running back like he might lose goal line touches that's really something that's been valuable to him so far if he's not getting goal line touches and he's not used in the passing game, then you basically have like a a good version of Amir Abdullah, which is like, that's worth nothing.
3: Correct. And Burkhead was really, really efficient, very strong in the red zone last season. So as we've seen with a team like the Patriots, they're not going to be afraid to turn his way all of a sudden, uh, if they're given any reason to do so. Golden Tate- first game as an Eagle. So I don't know if we can really read into this too much. Saw four targets, just two receptions, 19 yards, held to under four points. Uh, are you with me, Matt, that we probably shouldn't draw any conclusions based off of this one game?
1: Yeah, probably. Although it is, um, it is alarming. Mm. It's, it's notable that he got only four targets. Like I, I would have liked to have seen them give him more.
3: Yeah. Now I did see him back returning punts, I believe. Um, so it looked like, I guess that's encouraging, at least in that they wanted to start to get him involved right away. Uh, but we will have to see if that manifests into more targets. Uh, I, I'm definitely expecting that number to creep up though. Uh, reminder that you can still get a 30% off listener only subscription to RotoViz through the RotoViz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. And if you're appreciating what we're doing and you're looking forward to us continuing to do this throughout the year all the way up to next season, please visit us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Radio, and consider helping our mission uh, and getting access to some of the live shows that we're doing and uh, other content that we have available on Patreon. So please uh, be sure to check us out on there and subscribe to the site if you have yet to do so.
4: And it's crazy, Joe De. this is from that kick from a crazy Joe Davola. Yeah, oh, I see. crazy Joe DeVola? The what, uh, what crazy Joe Daola?
3: Crazy Joe, DeVola. Oh my God, crazy Joe DeVola. So the Joe Daola crazy stat of the week this week. I want to talk quickly about Aaron Jones because he has rushed for a first down uh on thirty eight percent of his carries. On 73 attempts, the closest player with 50 plus is Alvin Kamara, who's done so 33% of the time. But I find this particularly interesting as we've talked a lot about who was going to be the player that would win this backfield. Jamal Williams has done so just 22% of the time. And the key factor here is they've had the same number of third down attempts. So it's not like Jones was getting in necessarily in situations that were much easier to score, or excuse me, to get the first down. Another thing to note: Jamal Williams, his longest carry of this season, is eleven yards. He has not gone over twenty yards on any carries yet. Aaron Jones, as long as sixty-seven, uh, he's gone over twenty yards three times uh, over 40 yards once. It looks like the coaching staff is starting to recognize this. We saw a good game from Jones. Uh, and I think that we're starting to be able to rule that Jones, yes, is a pretty good back.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the the question has never been uh, if he's like the most dynamic guy in that backfield. It was always like, are they going to give him the snaps? Like, do they trust him enough to give him the snaps? And it looks like that is now the case, which is uh, fantastic. So
3: uh, I'm going to continue to bump him up in my rankings each week. Yeah. He was the type of guy too, that seemed like along with Nick Chubb. And I kind of wish that I'd been able to get them on more teams of guys that could make a huge difference for you down the stretch. And it's looking like both of them are going to be able to do that. Now to give some more numbers on these breakaway rushes, James Connor has eight carries of 20 or more yards. Uh, it has not gone over 40 yards. Saquon Barkley, has gone over 27 times. He has three rushes over 40 yards. Zeke Elliott over 27 times, one over 40. Gordon has gone over 27 times. Gurley over 27 times. Matt Breida, six rushes over 21 over 40. Bringing us to Nick Chubb, who has gone on the fewest carries, mind you, um, over 26 times, over 43 plus times. And I just want to bring this up because we had spoken a lot at Rhodoviz about how we thought that Chubb was a very type of explosive player, and we're already seeing that translate. Other interesting names that get into the top ten here, you also have carry On Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Joe Mixon, Isaiah Crowell and Kareem Hunt, who I, I did not mention, uh who's gone over 26 times, over 41 time. Uh you know, I don't know how much you can necessarily draw conclusions off of these type of stats, but nonetheless I always enjoy looking at those. Love a good deal? Sale into the season at Banana
2: Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 19.99, polos from 16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online
3: only at Banana Republic Factory. Players trending up. Another Cleveland running back two games with the change in coaching staff. Duke Johnson now Matt. 30 points last week, almost 15 this weekend. Had uh, a couple of carries, only four targets, but did find the end zone. He now has three touchdowns in the last two games. How good are you feeling about Duke at this point?
1: Yeah, I think the four targets is actually kind of low considering is, the matchup yeah. he had. Um, but you know they were ahead for a lot of that game. Yeah. Um, so I think we can project probably closer games for the Browns moving forward, and so I think that will probably translate in more targets. But yeah, I mean I think Johnson is probably locked in. Uh, for anywhere from like four to six targets per game um, with you know the possibility for more if game script really goes against them. Um, yeah, I mean, the touchdowns you won't be able to count on, but the, the targets, especially in PPR leagues, make him pretty valuable.
3: Definitely. Now, Dante Moncrief, I don't think has gotten too much coverage on this show to this point. And it's not like he's lighting the world on fire or anything. Granted, he did have nearly 19 points this weekend, but he is the type of player Where we're at the point in the season where there's few guys that have low ownership percentages that are consistently producing. Week four, he had 22 points. Week five, 13 and a half. Week seven, 14 and a half. Week eight, nine and a half, and then again 19 over the weekend with some games. 14 targets, 10 targets, seven targets. So I bring Moncrief up as a guy that I think could be available in leagues. That has a very decent chance of producing for you on a week-to-week basis. Granted, the Jacksonville passing game may not be the most enticing option this season, but I do think he's worth considering.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, he's someone
3: I was planning on mentioning in the uh, segment that comes later in the show. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you uh, you know, break it down in, in better reasoning yeah. than I just did. Mitchell Trubisky, Matt, we talked about earlier in the season, and he is really, I think – Grant uh cementing himself as a really good fantasy quarterback. Struggled against Buffalo, which was bizarre, but against Detroit. Has another great day. Scores on the ground, 355 yards through the air through three touchdown passes, 36 fantasy points. We talked about how important that rushing production is. He's also doing it through the air. I have to say, I think going into next season, Trubisky is a great option to go after.
1: Yeah. He's like the good version of Blake Bortles. Like he has like the, the rushing that yeah. Bortles has. Um, but it's like he doesn't have to count on trash time to get his passing production. Yeah. You know, like he's, yeah, I think he's like the good version of what everyone would have wanted Bortles to develop into. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm trying to like project into the future and yeah. think about like, you know, where would I want Trubisky? like i don't see myself wanting to draft him before, you know, i don't know, like 6, maybe even 8 other quarterbacks. But i think that makes him like a a pretty enticing late round option later. Yep. Like i think he will be someone who um you can get fairly cheaply uh if you like to wait at the position, but he still has like the potential to give you Production that is comparable to the guys in the top five, top six. So, yeah, I think he's a a pretty decent option looking into the future.
3: For sure. And I think he's one of those guys that once the season is done, a lot of people will forget about how many solid, solid weeks he had. Three players on the decline Devin Funches had back-to-back 18-point games in Week 6 and Week 7, since then has gone for 6, 8, and 6. The targets have been down at 3, 5, and 5. We start to see other players getting into the mix. Of course, Christian McCaffrey has been fantastic. You're a Funchess owner. Ooh, I'm. You're probably kind of feeling like you're not going to see much more from him as the season plays out
1: yeah, it's not a great situation. and uh, like his splits over the past two seasons uh, have been pretty stark whether uh like like with with Greg Olson in the lineup. so he's like a very Olson dependent type of player. Yeah. If Olson is out, like his target share increases dramatically. He basically plays like the Olson role within the offense. but uh yeah, it's not a good situation for him. He's
3: i don't I mean, I don't think he's someone you can trust at this point. Right. Now we talked about the Patriots earlier and how they struggled yesterday, but Tom Brady from a fantasy perspective has really been struggling this season, going back three weeks against Buffalo, doesn't even get to 14 points against Green Bay, does not get to 16 and against the Titans only gets to 11. I am not even really sure where to go with this. I I guess other than the fact that it's just kind of perplexing. Um, one touchdown in the last 3 games and this was a player that was kind of unanimously going in the top 3 of the position at ADP. Um at this point, do you see any reason why Brady should still be considered a weekly fantasy starter?
1: Uh yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> for, for it's hard cuz like who are you going to get off of waivers at this point that you feel like solidly is going to be better? Uh, in any given week than Brady. Like there probably just aren't that many, like it might be a matchup dependent thing. And you will probably end up starting someone who actually isn't really all that good. But you just think that given the matchup, that person might be able to outproduce him. But like you're going to lock yourself into basically having to stream the position each week, which isn't like the worst thing. But um, like on the other hand, uh Brady like he's looking like the version of himself um from like 3 or 4 years ago when he had just kind of like a random down season um he's missing throws like throws that he has been hitting the past couple of years he's just not as accurate um his receivers aren't quite as good and he's playing without Gronk um you know now he's on bye so it's just like i mean it's it's not a great situation and the, another thing is that each year, like for at least the past five years, but I think it goes back even a little longer than that, um, he's really faded in the second half of the season. And part of that just might be like age. Part of it might be, I don't know, he doesn't play as well in cold weather, whatever it is. But um, he just hasn't been nearly as productive in the second half of the season. So, like, you have that to look forward to if you're a Brady owner. So, um, like, on the one hand, it's hard to know who you're going to get on waivers. On the other hand, It's probably not going to get better for
3: Brady. I'm kind of with you there. Uh, There's always the potential for a massive game from Brady and that offense. But looking at things purely from a fantasy perspective, I think he's now at the point where if you need to shuffle things around your roster, make rooms or make room for other positions. If you're carrying two quarterbacks, I don't think that you need to feel bad. About letting go of him now, a player from you know actually once. Oh, yep. Let's go
1: through like a quick exercise. Sure. Here, are, here are some of the the quarterbacks available on waivers right now in yep. one of the leagues I'm in on Yahoo. um And these are the guys. This is listed in order of fantasy production this season. uh Tell me if you would take any of these guys above Brady. Okay. Blake Blake Bortles. No. Andy Dalton. No.
3: Dak Prescott. No.
1: Joe Flacco.
3: He has a very favorable upcoming schedule, I have to say. It's possible I might.
1: But he's also injured. He's also
3: injured, yeah. If we're taking that out of the equation, then maybe. But, so, I guess, no, because in this exercise, we should go with actual facts. So, so no, I would not go with Flacco. Yeah. Uh, Case Keenum. Yeah, I guess not. Derek Carr. No, 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 no. Of course yeah. not.
1: Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the first one.
3: Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. And then, like, after that, it's, you know, like, Eli, Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, CJ Beathard. It's, you know, like, it's pretty naked out there. So, basically, if Brady's on your team, you're losing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you've basically already lost the season, probably.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty depressing. Uh, So, just moving along from Brady, a player in another offense that I think has not lived up to what people were hoping, granted, he has had more useful weeks in respect to his position than Brady, but that's Jimmy Graham. Week eight, just three points against New England, did get into the end zone, managed 15 and a half points, but against Miami, just 2.4 points. This is not what owners who drafted Jimmy Graham were expecting.
1: Oh yeah, it's been horrible. Um, He led the position over the last two seasons uh, in touchdowns, Um, led the league last year in red zone touchdowns and targets inside the 10. I think people were kind of expecting that that would be the role he would have within this offense, especially with Jordy Nelson gone, but he really hasn't been used like that at all. Um, And there are games when he's been productive uh, and they've given him targets and he's been used as kind of more of like just a regular, you know, tight end across the field. Um, But yeah, it's pretty bad at this point. Um, And it's hard to know exactly when, like in any given week. He will be productive. I mean, if if you have him, you probably have to start him. There's probably not anyone on waivers who's better than him, right? <laughs> which is like a horrible thing to say, but um, he's you can't count on him at all.
3: Yeah, for sure. It, it, just another uh, surprise, even if you weren't expecting for him to come into the offense in Green Bay and be a top four type of tight end, I think you were expecting more from him. Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games like Mr. Friedman. Uh, You've heard us talking about them for weeks. And if you're still on the sidelines, you need to get to my bookie as soon as possible and bet a little and win a lot. Get in on those parlays, get in on baseball, basketball, hockey, the huge UFC fights. My bookie is the one bet that we know you'll be happy with all year. We recommend them because we trust them. They've been in the business for years. The online reviews are fantastic, and their mobile site is easy to use. Uh, we have that promo code for you, that RotoViz promo code, uh, getting you some of the absolute best bonuses in the industry, be sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They respond to every mention and DM, and they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new ads and props are posted. And on Sundays, Matt and I both start off our day by getting a quick look and then pondering the fantasy betting props, uh, which if you're just looking for another way, perhaps your season is done, but you still want to spice up the games a little bit on Sunday, that is the best way to do it. So again, make use of our promo code ROTOVIZ and check out my bookie today. Friedman, it's time. I know I kind of stole your thunder earlier, but we want that number one waiver priority. People have been waiting for more than 24 hours now. Lay it on us.
1: Uh, Well, it's that point in the season where basically all of the players that we talked about uh, to start the show are kind of – You know what I mean? Because it's like the waivers are thin at this point. So basically those guys we talked about, if you're looking for receivers – Uh, I think Dante Moncrief is like a kind of high volatile guy uh, and maybe that's the type of player you're actually looking for. Uh, Like someone who actually has the potential of like scoring 20 points in a game um, if he has the right matchup and you're just kind of like looking for a Hail Mary type of throw. Uh, Someone who's interesting, although he is on by, I believe this upcoming week is Danny Amendola. Mm -hmm. Um, In part, just because the uh, the Dolphins have been decimated at the wide receiver position. So, uh, Kenny Stills is playing, but he's you know like battling a groin injury. Uh, obviously, Albert Wilson is on IR. Devontae Parker was injured this last game. Jakeem Grant was injured. So, uh, I don't know. It's a pretty thin position, and Amendola has been getting some decent targets recently. So, he's someone who's intriguing at the uh, wide receiver position. At running back, um, it's pretty naked out there, but The one guy who actually is, I think, a little intriguing, even though I said uh, he's probably going to do nothing, is Rashad Penny. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it has to do with um, uncertainty around Chris Carson and the fact that that team runs so much. So like, he is a first-round guy. He does have some talent. He's on a team that likes to run the ball. One of the guys ahead of him is injured, and uh, the other guy ahead of him is like a journeyman. And he plays at a position where guys get injured all the time. So, you know, like if you're looking for just something at the running back position, uh, there is some potential there. Tight end is really naked and the same with uh, quarterback. Like if you're looking for those positions, I think you're probably in the, like you're you're already dead, I think. So, I mean, I don't know, like good luck if you're looking at those positions, but like there's nothing that's really jumping off the
3: page to me. It's not a good time to be looking for a tight end or quarterback. It absolutely isn't. And to kind of clarify how when we're talking about a player like Penny, it can kind of seem like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. I think the important distinction here to make is that though we don't necessarily expect much to come to fruition, where you're at the point in the season where you're comparing players and what you have to look at is Is there any way that these guys could get into a positive situation and if they do become useful? Uh, So though it's a low probability with Penny, it's probably a more fortuitous situation if it comes to fruition than other players. Yeah, exactly. So from a strength of schedule perspective, we're going to hit these up quickly because I've got to be honest, the teams that set up well do not have many options that you would want to go after. Having said that, Carolina's wide receivers have favorable schedule the next three weeks, as do the Jets wide receivers and San Francisco's wide receivers. Of course, we'll have a better idea. Uh, we're recording this during Monday night, so it's hard to say with the change in quarterback there exactly what that would look like. Difficult schedules. Unfortunately, though, we did just mention Amendola. Miami plays a pretty grueling schedule. Moncrief, who we also mentioned, fair warning, the Jags play a difficult schedule in the next three weeks. Cincinnati's wide receivers do as well. So if you're looking to perhaps get some production from that Bengals offense, if AJ Green remains sidelined, they could be up for some difficult matchups. Fantasy games of the upcoming week. This is an easy one, Matt, but the Rams face the Chiefs on Monday night football next week. I think that is going to be some very compelling television
1: yeah, it's the mexico City game um it's you know a potential Super Bowl preview, and uh it has at this point like a sixty three and a half or sixty four point over under, which is like the highest of all time so uh yeah it's a it's a great game. I mean literally like part of me was thinking like, do I want to fly to Mexico City to see this game in person? Wow. Like I like I was considering it. Wow. Um, I just wouldn't have to, I didn't want to have to explain that to my wife. So I'm, I'm not doing it, but I like it, it really, it really crossed my mind.
3: All right. Yeah. To put this in perspective, when you started talking about that, I was about to say, if you do it, I'll do it. Keep in mind, I also have a probably less flexible job and yeah. a child that's almost, <laughs> two years old. Um, so it would be harder for me, but that's how exciting of a contest this seems like.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's going to be pretty fun. Um, but I mean, there were some other good games too on the slate. Um, but yeah, that one really stands out.
3: Right. So, I mean, I think this kind of trumps everything, but there's also Minnesota and Chicago on Sunday night. So definitely some good fantasy options there. And like you said, there were a couple other games. So this week we had a lot more to choose from than last week bringing us to the bonus round. Uh maybe these are kind of tough t- tough questions for you, Matt, but which one player do you wish that you owned as we head into the stretch of or the final stretch of the fantasy season? I'll let you choose from anybody even if you go with an obvious player like Gurley. Uh it's just interesting to kind of <sighs> see how you're gauging uh the fantasy landscape right now.
1: Yeah. Um I'll say David Johnson because like I think he would have been uh, somewhat easy to acquire through trade earlier in the season. Um, But he was still like clearly the lead back on the team Um, and they still look for him in the passing game. They still give him the ball at the goal line. So basically, I think he has a lot of the same characteristics uh, and even like a lot of the usage that made him really valuable in 2016. It's just he's on an offense that isn't quite as good. So he's not going to get as many touches, probably not going to be quite as efficient on a per touch basis, but he still, I I think, has like, you know, top five, top eight potential at the position.
3: For sure. And one of the real encouraging things for Johnson and perhaps those of you that own him in Dynasty is for as down of a season as this may have seemed, he still has actually been a relevant producer on your team and though he's not winning you the league he has certainly kept you uh in contention so i think as we see this team start to be able to utilize him better uh him trending forward i feel better about owning him in dynasty uh at this point obviously than i did at the beginning of the season so what is one macro level trend that you wish you had known about when the season started
1: it's
3: hmm. a good question
1: uh, so right now, uh, as we are recording this, um, so entering Monday night football, yep, teams had collectively as a league had outscored, um, the, the over under or the, the game total by 400 points. Um, but the under has hit more times this year than the over just, just one more time, but still. So you have like this disparity of looking and thinking like, it's a really high scoring season. Like the league is on pace to set the record for most points in a season, but the under is still hitting. And so it's this situation where um, like the books were pretty slow to adjust the lines upward for the first month of the season. So that was like a really profitable month for over betters. Um, but like if anything, they've kind of been like aggressive in over adjusting it. Mm. And like, I wish I had, I wish I had thought about that a little bit more and seen it coming because it would have, it's been very profitable to bet the unders, uh, for the past like six weeks or so. Um, and I wish I kind of, I wish I would have seen that coming a little more and, and really like I should have, um, because I think part of this is based on the rule adjustments, Uh, but then also part of this is like localized in a few teams. But if you look at, uh, some of the, the adjustments that were made that facilitated the passing game, uh, I think like in 2010, like you, you did see this, you saw the first four weeks were really profitable for over betters. And then the under was better for the rest of the season as the bookmakers adjusted. So like, I think we're at the point in the year where it's kind of balanced out now. and, and i don't think there's going to be like much value really to like blindly betting the under or anything like that but um like i wish i would have thought a little bit more about that trend like i was definitely on the over for the the opening month of the season i just i didn't anticipate that it that the good times would stop <laughs>
3: Wow, for what I anticipated to be a tremendously difficult question to come up with such a thought out answer like that so quickly, you just absolutely murdered that. So you win the podcast tonight, Matt.
1: Well, thank you. Well, like that's something I've been thinking about for a while. (laughs) So (laughs)
3: yeah. Um, so that that just reminds me of something funny, talking about um going back a couple of years when there was different rules changed or rule changes. So I had a friend who Back when they started to make things a little bit easier for the receivers, limiting some of what defensive backs could do, heading into the fantasy season, his theory was he just wanted to get wide receivers all over the place because he thought that teams would be just passing to wide receivers so much because there would be uh, so much pass interference, to which I questioned well, if you think that they're going to be so much pass interference, doesn't that mean that the receivers aren't then going to be catching the ball? Because he was saying they'll start chucking it to the receivers. Um, and it was an interesting exercise in like counterintuitive thinking because um, naturally, if you're going to be drawing that many pass interferences, you're probably not going to be catching the ball. I'm not explaining this really great, but if you could have seen his reaction when I broke down that yeah, logic, no, it was fantastic.
1: No, no I, I get it. Um, so you you're the one who asked the question so it leads me to believe that it's likely you have given this some thought like is there a macro level trend uh that you wish you could have anticipated
3: Yeah I think for me um it really came down to it's all like or the thing that I've been thinking about a lot and I don't even know if it really addresses the question is just that going somewhat more with the players that I felt good about versus making sure that I had a very uh, cemented strategy. Because there was a lot mm-hmm. of players like Michael Thomas that I felt very good about. I felt very good about Devonta Adams. Now, listen, there's players that I felt good about too that didn't pan out, such as Robbie Anderson, Kenny Stills, but those were players later on in the draft. However, I was in certain leagues where I said, given the nature of this league, I am going to forget about that and I'm just going to go with the running backs. Now, you know, in some of those leagues that worked out, some it didn't. But I think that the reason that happened was almost I let myself have a bit of an overreaction to the prior season where we saw a lot of good performances from running backs. So I wish that I had kind of trusted what made sense, which was we would kind of see a rebound from the top wide receivers. So I, I wish that was something that even though there was the signal there, I'd been more um ardent and kind of trusting my gut with
1: yeah um oh actually i have another one yep um i wish i would have <laughs> anticipated and uh like whatever league you're in there's one owner who's just like yes i wish i would have anticipated the Le'Veon bell situation a little bit better <laughs> yes. um, yeah yeah you know like uh i wish i had james freaking connor and in my leagues. That's that's what I wish. Like, you know, I, I think like that will end up being like one of the defining hallmarks of like this season of like the the people who got James Conner in the tenth round, the twelfth round, whatever round it was, um, those people are winning their leagues. Like I, I wish
3: I were one of those people. I know. I it's crazy too, especially in certain shallow leagues. If you had drafted L'Avion as long as you picked up connor you're fine hell you might even yeah. just be winning your league based off of that yeah. one move and it's interesting how being the bell owner would have incentivized you to go after him so like i'd love to see some stats on how many leagues the person that was the bell owner ended up getting connor uh, versus you know somebody else getting him
1: yeah if you if you are the bell owner it's like it's almost it's better if you're not the bell owner and you have connor that way you can just like right. stick it to the person who has bell um, but yeah, if you drafted Bell, I mean, I guess it just depends on when exactly you drafted your league. But basically, if you drafted Bell, you knew this was a situation. Like, even part of your brain had to know there was, even if you would have put it at a 1% chance that he doesn't play a down this season, you still should have thought, you know what, I'm de- like I'm devoting the number two, the number three, the number four pick to this guy. I need to make sure that this pick is covered. Like I need to get his backup. Right. <laughs> so like if if you are the the bell owner and you don't have Connor on your roster, it's totally on you. Like it, it's your fault. Like it sucks. It like it totally sucks, but you should have devoted the pick whatever round you think it would have been like comfortable, uh, but still necessary to use a pick to draft him. Like you should have ensured that you got him.
3: I think the only thing I could say in my case it was hubris it was hubris I was in the league for my father-in-law <laughs> I saw these guys that I was just calling Jabronis in my head making all of these bad picks I was sure that I would be able to granted he didn't even get drafted uh but of course <laughs> you know the the couple of days leading up until the draft uh ended up being the busiest uh as you might imagine for somebody that was developing uh, yeah. draft software. I don't know why I took it, uh, you know, as I just kind of like took it for granted that I would have the time to be thinking about this tertiary league that I'm in. So as you can see, I'm still pretty salty, not to mention he was the first pick in my league, which I had, uh, in the Scott fishbowl too. So Le'Veon has really gotten the best of me this season.
1: Yeah, that's, that's rough. So yeah, the James Connor, like that's not, um, that's not really a macro level trend, but, um, yeah, I don't know that that's one that has like stuck with me as just like something that's lingered and like the thing is the I don't own Levion in any redraft leagues. I own him in a dynasty league and mm. like I wanted I wanted James Conner in last year's rookie draft and I just couldn't get him, you know, right? Like, so like I it's so like part of me is like I really should have tried harder to trade for him or you know, but it's it, it's just it's a totally different dynamic. But uh, yeah, the the James Conner, like, yeah. as good as Gurley has been this year, I think Connor is the story of this season.
3: Yeah, I feel like it, when it all goes down, it's going to be Connor and Mahomes is what people yeah, will be talking yeah. about. Uh, and the other annoying thing too about Bell deciding to essentially sit the season out is now every data set that I'm working with that includes running back ADP, I'm going to always have to remember to adjust this. This is going to be yeah. just like there's that AP season when he got suspended. There's always these annoying ones and I'm always needing to go back and adjust them. So this is just another one. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's,
1: it it is and it isn't like you, like it is annoying um, and you should adjust it, but maybe you shouldn't. I, well, that's the like, question. Because like right? this happens, like this, this happens, like running backs suffer injuries more than other players. Uh, you know, like running backs have these franchise tag type of situations. Um, I don't know. Like, it's, I would say, like, you can probably count on the idea that maybe, like, once every five years, you are going to have a situation like this with a running back where someone who is drafted in the top five, the first round, um, doesn't end up playing a down.
3: Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's probably true. Of course. I think the other interesting thing is going to be to see what other running backs do now uh, as this has, I think, taken away some of the leverage that they would have within the confines of their organization.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. like. So, Bell has used this rhetoric and like, we're just going off on a tangent here. Yeah, that's but, uh, fine. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Bell has like used this rhetoric of like, I'm doing this for other players. Like, I, I'm doing this like for the position. I think he has screwed over other runners who are coming after him because yep. like he has shown how replaceable the position is. And that actually isn't like to take anything away from James Conner, who like, I think is actually a very good player. Yeah, like, he is. Yep. He's- You know he was productive at Pitts. You know Pittsburgh. Uh, He was a better pass catching back there than people gave him credit for. Like lots of things to like about him. Um, But yeah, I mean, like Bell has basically shown that even though he was a top two, I'd say probably uh, top five, just to be safe, but probably a top two running back in the league, given his versatility and his size and all of that. Um, He's shown that even someone that good. Can basically miss a season and his team, as long as they have someone who is like, I don't know, adequate, like they will not miss him. Like this isn't, and this isn't just like a James Conner thing. Like D'Angelo Williams was still like doing well when Bell was out. Yeah. So like, I don't know. Like he was trying to make a point and he made the exact opposite point. Yeah.
3: Well, so here's the interesting thing I wrote about this. This was maybe. Five weeks ago, but I'm pretty sure it still holds. If you actually look at the stat line produced by every running back or like the by the lead, like leading rusher on the Steelers in attempts in every game that Bell has not played since he's been with the team, that rusher actually averages a better stat line than Bell.
1: Yes, that is 100% accurate. So it's just like, and, I mean, and it, yeah, it still holds. It definitely still, yeah, it holds. definitely
3: still holds. So in addition to being fake philanthropy, <laughs> it's actually been thievery if you will
1: yeah uh his agent has yeah has screwed him yeah but i mean i also don't i don't know if bell really wanted to play this year either
3: yeah so maybe he didn't there's, there's that yeah yeah that's interesting all right well on that note um although i actually i was going to ask you one other question unfootball related but i'm not sure that there's enough time for you to answer that yeah,
1: but yeah there's time for okay it.
3: what is your favorite book of all time matt
1: Oh man,
3: favorite book of all time.
1: Um that's a good one. Okay, so uh it's not okay. I'm I'm thinking about this too, like literally. Yeah. Uh in terms of like what is a book you can bifurcate um, this into
3: two like separate um
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna say like like uh, an actual book, like a novel. Yep. Um Huckleberry Finn. Okay, I think. Uh, Like Tom Sawyer, I also really like too, but Huckleberry Finn has, I think, like some of the good qualities of Tom Sawyer, but is also like more serious. Yep. Um, So yeah, Huckleberry Finn. Um, It's not technically a book, but I would say King Lear by Shakespeare. um, I also really like. Uh, And so like if I wanted to kind of conceptualize this as like an actual book, I would just say like um, the book of Shakespeare's plays. Okay. Yep. You know? Yeah.
3: I like it. I would say and, –
1: and, and then the Bible, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. I, I, and I say that and it sounds like I, I'm joking. But like it's – I don't know. Like um, it's like an ancient text. Yep. You know, and there's like – there's wisdom in it. Like even if like you don't read it literally, like there's wisdom literature in it. So like, um, you know, like I would say like Shakespeare's plays yep. in the Bible are like the two most like culturally significant uh, text in the English language. And that, like, still impact English literature today, right? So, yeah. To put that into yeah, context, so, too,
3: you yeah. are you are a lit major, so you probably can appreciate like the ramifications and in, in, you know the derivative functions of the Bible, probably more so than another you know yeah, a less mean, educated it's, person it's- on the subject.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a very rich text, like regardless of like whatever your thoughts are on it. Yep. So like yeah, like it, it at a minimum, I think it's a, a book to be like known and to be like respected for like its historical uh importance.
3: Yeah. That that makes sense. So my favorite book of all time, if asked, I would say, is Dune. Because I read Dune, I would say, at a point in my life where I was just kind of bridging the gap between reading things. More so, like, just because I had to do it for school versus, like, also reading for enjoyment. And, like, at the time, it just blew my mind that there could be such, like, a rich universe and a book that covered so many diverse topics that it was kind of, like, my gateway for reading, I guess, like, more advanced literature. But for more than, like, just reading for school, but, like, reading to actually try to, like, learn something, get a different perspective on life and, like, just take stuff in. So, after I read that, I started reading a lot more.
1: Yeah. I've I've never read Dune. Um my wife, who's like she's a an English professor, but like just a voracious reader. Yep. I think she read that when she was younger and she really liked it. Isn't there like it's a whole series, right? Yeah, Aren't it, there like seven it, books it, in, right. in the series or something like it, yeah, that? Yeah, there
3: are. And it's just like absolutely amazing the breadth of topics that they cover. It's kind of like the intersection of the story of a messiah of like um just like different cultures politics religion there's just so many things meshing together and i was 18 when i read it uh which was a time where like you're trying to start to formulate your opinion on all of these things yeah and uh it just ties them together so nicely and yeah i mean at the time i just i never read anything like that um and i think if i go back to it now like it's not the same because it doesn't have like kind of that like sense of wonder if you will when i was first reading it but yeah i mean it was just like absolutely fantastic series now like probably well geez at this point we're more than 10 years later i think i need to go back and kind of like revisit the series and then naturally my f fa- I i guess like my other favorite book like just for pure enjoyment of reading and like escape is obviously the harry potter series that's also influenced oh, yeah. by the time yeah. that i read it but
1: yeah i mean those yeah those are classic there there are so many good books like uh i think that like i mean not to get like philosophical yep. but like that's almost like the kind of like shitty part about life is that there's just not enough time to yep. do like all the things you want to do. And for me, like that includes like a massive amount of reading. And I just like, I won't have time to read everything I want to read.
3: Okay. That actually gives me anxiety as well. And like, so like one of the goals that like my wife and I have is like, when we retire, we want to have in our house, like a library somewhere with just like, you know, you got like the floor to shelf bookcases, like with the actual, like uh, yeah. I forget what you call the thing that moves around and like just like reads so much, but yeah, it gives me anxiety too that there's so many good books that I'll never be able to digest, even if I'm reading them at or listening to them at four and a half speed.
1: Yeah, so to to put kind of like a somewhat of a bow on this, yep. um, like uh, Taleb has like uh, I don't and I don't even remember exactly like the context in which he uses it, but like the anti, the anti library, yep, where it's like it's not the books that you've read, but it's like all of the books that you haven't read. And like how um, like that actually kind of informs who you are more than what you know from the books you've read.
3: (sighs) That's an interesting thought. I'm gonna have to ponder that some more. So – after a very uh interesting close to this episode that is going to do it for today's episode once again i'm dave Cabin. you can follow me on twitter at dave CabinF. my co-host was matthew friedman who you can follow at matt f the oracle don't forget to call in 978-925-7628 and maybe tell us your favorite books uh this has been RotoViz radio please subscribe to the podcast leave us a review and be sure to tune next week and remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it Thank you for listening to Roto Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at RotoViz.com forward slash podcast.
2: Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.
4: Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance.